Um, hello everyone, we have a very special guest on today and we are going to be talking about one of the most common topics that I get asked as a coach all the time because obviously I train females and that is time of the month and looking after your period and all of the female hormones and all that jazz and I have a very special guest and that is Isabel Dorks from ID Health and she's going to be talking to us about how to basically look after yourself as a woman and look after your hormones and how to support your time of the month as well so without further ado obviously I've given you a bit of an introduction there but Izzy or Iz can you please introduce yourself tell us what you do who you are and how you got into like being so fascinated about females and hormones <laughs> <laughs> I am very fascinated by females. um hi everyone thanks for having me first of all I'm very excited to have this chat today it's obviously one of my favorite topics I rarely shut up about it so that's great um so I'm a nutritionist and nutritional therapist and I um, I work with women to um, kind of manage and overcome um, disordered eating and to establish healthy relationships with food and fitness, um, kind of breaking away from diet culture and rules and things like that, and just like reconnecting to the mind and the body um, to be comfortable around food and training and, and actually engage in the things that we want to in a way that makes us feel good. That's kind of my main focus is always about how people are feeling. Um, one of my main um, things that I talk about and look at with women, and I get a lot of women come to me about, is periods and hormones. So I get um, a lot of clients who have um, diagnosed or undiagnosed hormone conditions. So whether that's something like PCOS or endometriosis, or whether that's just kind of like irregular cycles. I also work a lot with um, HA, so hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is period loss um, that can happen because of um, nutrition issues or training issues or things like that um, and help women restore their cycles so yeah there's a huge connection I don't really think you can kind of be looking at diet and nutrition and stuff without looking at the menstrual cycle when you work with women um, because it is so connected um, how we feel and like there's kind of like bi-directional pathways like how we eat impacts how we feel but then also how we feel can impact how and what we eat so there's all these things that we want to be kind of thinking about um, and I started studying nutrition like five years ago <laughs> um, five or six years ago because um, I used to be a chef so I am I love food I'm obsessed with food and I used to work as a chef and then I kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, I love what I'm doing, but I, I want to be able to help people more than this. Um, and I was struggling with my own hormone issues at the time and looking into what I could do to support my own body. And then just kind of went into a career of nutrition, started studying it. Um, and now here I am in my own business. Amazing. Um, and we both love food. Our common topic is always talking about food. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit more about, if you don't mind, just a little bit about your own personal journey with yeah. your hormones and that kind of thing. Because I think a lot of the listeners will find this quite interesting. Yeah, oh, we might be here for like seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I... I mean, I think issues with my period could probably like go back to when it first started. So I got my period when I was like, I don't know, 12. Um, and it was always really long and heavy, but mm. I, didn't, I didn't know that because no one ever talked about it. 
no one ever talked about periods like it wasn't I don't even know if I would have considered it a taboo topic at that age I just no one talked about it it wasn't ever really a thing and my bleed length then was like 11 to 14 days which is way too long yeah um but I didn't know that I kind of thought that that's that's what a period was um and it wasn't until I so I was basically going to um I was passing out all the time because of anemia because of iron loss not surprised um and then it was like after that happened a few times they were like oh yeah something something's going wrong here um but it still wasn't really kind of looked into or talked about you know when you're a then like a teenager obviously kind of one of the things that you just end up either getting put on or going on is the pill um I didn't understand my cycle I didn't understand hormonal contraceptives I don't think a lot of people do at that age because we're we never really offered that information or offered it in a way that we want to make sense of it Mm. like I think that I don't think it's fair to say it's not available because there, there usually is like some sort of I don't know person that comes into a school to talk about this stuff but it's never really presented in a way that actually makes you engaged with understanding your own body um so yeah then I was I was on various hormonal contraceptives for my a lot of my teens but my main like thing was I just I wanted to not have my period that was whatever could stop my period for the longest Mm. time I'd choose that option because that's what I wanted um and then when I was 19 I got diagnosed with PCOS because in my um like a few years before that I'd started to get quite a few like PCOS related symptoms so I came off the pill when I was about I think I was about 18 I can't really remember why I guess there was something in my head that was triggered about like oh let's learn more about this I don't know where it came from but I decided to come off it um and I'd also been getting things like I had really bad acne like from my kind of jawline all the way down to like my mid chest and my hair was like falling out um, I was so tired all the time and I just did not understand why and then I came off the pill and my period just never came back um, went to the doctors and they're like oh no you've got to wait until it's been longer and then went back again um, and that's when I had tests and scans and stuff done found out I had PCOS and then was basically just told to go back on the pill um, go on this one because it will help your acne so then I took that um and it did help my acne but then it gave me like really intense migraines and then I was like okay we'll also have this one to help your migraines and then I took that one but then the combination of those things made me like even lower in mood and even more tired so then it was like okay we'll take this as well and I was just like what's happening why am I what why am I being given all of these different tablets like what's going on yeah um and I think that had that went on for quite a few months and I decided to just stop taking everything which is not my advice I'm not telling people to go and do that <laughs> always speak to your doctor before ceasing medications um, but I just decided to throw everything away and I was like I'm going to give myself a year um, to try and figure this out through diet and lifestyle because I'd been I'd been looking at things there's so much on the internet there is so much out there and there was there was a lot when I was looking at things and that's what like eight years, eight, nine years ago now. And there's even more out there and it's such a confusing place to be. 
Um, I was confused about what to do when I was looking back then. So I like I can't even imagine now to be somebody who kind of newly finds out they've got this stuff going on to then go online. It's such a confusing place out there and everybody has their own um, opinions and thoughts and feelings around it all. Um, but I decided that I was going to try and try lots of different things and see what worked. Um, and I did ridiculous stuff, first of all. I did all the like cutting out dairy and wheat and alcohol and sugar and this and that all at once and then doing like cardio every day and like all of the stuff and it was awful like <laughs> I definitely felt worse <laughs> and yeah because that's what like it on the internet especially as a woman with I mean you get hammered with this stuff when you're a woman anyway but um, with when you're looking at hormone related stuff it's all of this like cut this out and don't do that and this is terrible and do all of this and I just decided to do all of them all at once of course, and, <laughs> of course because that's what we do and it, <laughs> of course and uh, it was just a bit ridiculous so then I had a, had another word with myself because nothing had changed either um, I still had kind of all of the same symptoms nothing was very different and I was like okay what is going to be the most sustainable thing for me now? And I decided to approach it with a, what can I still see myself doing this time next year? Because mm. this isn't going anywhere. I'm not going to be able to kind of cure this and then like quote unquote cure and then go back to a different lifestyle. Like this is going to be something I'm going to have to maintain for my whole life. And mm. um, so then I became a lot more, um, just realistic with what I was trying to do um and it was I think a year to the day <laughs> since I'd first said I'm going to give myself a year that my period came back it was the first um like actual cycle I'd had in probably since I was about 13 or 14 mm. um and I remember just crying I think I was like 21 at this point and I was just like crying and crying um because I was so happy and it but it was so painful I was like why did I want this to come back? <laughs> um and then it took um a lot longer to then actually establish regular cycles because they were just erratic for a really long time um but I was really determined to try and do what I could through my lifestyle and through my diet and what worked for me and then I did get to a point where I was having regular cycles um, and I started using an app called Natural Cycles where you can track your basal body temperature. And I had ovulation um, confirmed a few times, which is really exciting because that's one of the things that um, PCOS tends to affect is whether you're actually ovulating. Um, but then about three years ago, I then started getting a whole host of new symptoms. <laughs> Um, and new pains and all of this other stuff that I didn't really understand and things started going a bit haywire and my cycles were changing um, and I couldn't figure out why at the time with oh, it would have been about two no yeah two and a half to three years ago because um, then when we went into lockdown I really started to notice how affected everything was because um, I just had more time you know none of us were doing anything I was able to actually see what was going on and then where the pain was just, my the, my periods had always been quite painful and quite heavy, but this time they were, um, it was just getting worse and worse every month to the point where I couldn't work. Like I couldn't, my, my work is very um, like this. I, I talk to people, I'm very engaged with people and I couldn't concentrate on what people were saying to me because I was just in so much pain. Mm. Um, and I was like, if any of my clients came to me and told me they're in this much pain, I would 
be doing everything I could to get them to be seen by a doctor and go to a gynecologist and do all of this and why am I not doing it to myself because mm. um, we're always you know <laughs> we're the worst patients aren't we yeah um so I went to it was very difficult because it was lockdown so it was hard to be seen and women's health obviously was not considered essential care at that point you know everything was being directed to the pandemic um but I've thankfully got to see a gynecologist who um was pretty sure I had endometriosis you can't diagnose it without um the laparoscopic surgery but I got put on um like a rush list thankfully um and then got I had my surgery in June um I had five days notice which was really exciting they literally rang me and were like you're having surgery in five days oh my god (laughs) and I had to go for my pre-op the next day and then just go straight into isolation because you weren't allowed to go to hospital if you hadn't isolated so it was absolutely it was so crazy um then woke up from the surgery and they'd found endometriosis in three places. Um, so my bowel, my bladder, and the outside of my uterus, they removed it all, but they also found a cyst the size of a peach on one of my ovaries, um, which was more like, it was probably that that was causing a lot of my problems. Yeah. Um, so they removed that as well. And that was about eight, seven, eight months ago now. And things are settling down again, which is great. So yeah, yeah I've kind of, been through it all with with periods and the hormones I mean I am firstly like thank you for sharing that with us all because obviously it's quite personal but secondly like you've been through a lot (laughs) that's a lot (laughs) like you know when I think about my period history compared to that like mine has been a breeze you know Mm -hmm. so well done to you to like for like just recognizing the fact that you needed to reach out for the right help, try different things and that kind of thing. And I think for anyone listening to this, this is kind of what we're going to get into in this podcast now is kind of helpful tips that you can provide the listeners to kind of support their um, female cycle and that kind of thing. So, yeah, so I'm going to ask you a question that a client actually asked me the other day, because I think this is a great place to start. Yeah. And this client was talking to me about her um, time of the month. And she basically said to me every single month, I get horrendous PMS. Um, You know, I'm really cranky. I'm really tired. I'm horrible to everyone. I feel depressed. And she said to me, is PMS normal? So my thoughts initially were well I guess your hormones change so yeah essentially slightly normal but I suppose not to that extreme so can you just kind of clarify is PMS normal? Yeah of course so it's a good question and um, so first of all PMS impacts everyone differently so not only can we have different um like symptoms of it but also to different intensities which I think is really important to remember because we I think we need to be able to offer people compassion who struggle with things more than others um but so technically if we think about how a cycle runs um an ideal menstrual cycle should be around it should be 28 days. That's what an ideal menstrual cycle should be. However, most people are going to be somewhere between kind of 21 to 35. We're going to be somewhere in that range. And that's still healthy. That's still normal. That's still okay. 
Um, and a, an ideal cycle would be 28 days of ovulation around day 14. Um, and an ideal cycle would have no PMS. So actually it's not technically normal. And I think it's important to distinguish the difference between normal and common mm. um, because a lot of things become normal because they're common. Disordered eating is a really good example of that actually. There's so many things that are actually disordered behaviors that people think are normal because everyone does it. Mm. And actually that's that's common. That just means a lot of people are doing it, but that doesn't make it normal. Um, and I think PMS can become quite common but technically isn't necessarily normal. However, I don't think we live in, a, in an ideal world. And I don't think we live in a world where we can um, strive for the most ideal of, of whatever we want. It's kind of like trying to breathe non-polluted air. Like you can do whatever, you can try and take yourself out to the most remote place ever, but there's probably still going to be pollution in it. You know, yeah. you, whether you're in the middle of a city, you know, you're going to be breathing in city pollution. But then if you go out to the countryside, you're probably going to be getting farm pollution. Like we've created a world where there's, there's things in our environment that influences and that affect us. Um, and those things a lot of the time are outside of our control. There's lots of things that are inside our control that we can try to manage. But even if we put all of our efforts into that, PMS can still occur because we can be stressed, you know, we can like all, all of these things happen and to try and strive for a life PMS free. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Great. Try and have that as a goal if you want to. But if you would rate your PMS as maybe like a seven out of seven this month, then next month, maybe let's try and aim for a six out of seven and let's try and make that be normal. And then once you've achieved that, let's aim for a five out of seven and, and just trying to improve and noticing that things are getting better rather than being disheartened that there's still symptoms there. Yeah. I think that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's really difficult, isn't it? Because everyone always wants to be normal, but normal is so different to every, like every single body. So yeah. Okay. And on that note then is there anything that we can do to support our PMS symptoms if you know perhaps we are experiencing a little bit of pain and you know tiredness and that kind of thing is there anything holistically dietary wise that we can do to support those symptoms yeah so PMS to kind of explain what PMS actually is for anyone who's listening so first of all it stands for premenstrual syndrome and I say that because I was talking about PMS in a workshop a few weeks ago and I never actually said what it stands for and some people didn't know so PMS stands for premenstrual syndrome and it is um, the symptoms that we can get the few days before our bleed and sometimes the few days they're kind of the first few days of it as well and what's happening is all of our hormones are dropping at that point in the cycle so each of our hormones has different um, roles and they fluctuate and fall at different points in the cycle. Um, and that's how things like our endometrium builds and that we ovulate um, and all of that stuff actually happens. It's because of these hormone fluctuations. But at the end of the month, they all, they all drop. So all of our female um, hormones drop down to kind of baseline. Um, which I think is quite funny because a lot of the time when we think about PMS, we think about being cranky, we, we describe ourselves as hormonal. Yeah. And, and it implies that it's like uh, too many hormones, like, oh, all my hormones are haywire and I'm feeling crazy. It's actually the opposite. It's usually yeah. a lack. 
Um, which is why a lot of PMS symptoms are quite similar to menopause symptoms because menopause is lowering hormones, hormones falling. Um, so that's essentially what's happening in PMS. And PMS can become aggravated if we have a higher level of hormones that are falling more rapidly. So ultimately, it kind of comes down to our regulated hormones, essentially, throughout the month that can then impact our PMS and to what level we experience that to. So um, rather than like, there's things you can do whilst you're experiencing PMS to try and like relieve it or support it in terms of like pain and sleeping and stuff like that. Um, but to actually kind of look at the, the root cause of what's going on, you wanna be looking at the hormone balance across the whole month. You yeah. wanna be looking at what's going on throughout the whole cycle. Um, and starting to, yeah, really kind of notice um, and support yourself there, which will then reflect in the support that you feel around your PMS. Okay. And uh, do you know what? That's the first time anyone has explained it in that way, that instead of looking at your PMS, like how to kind of not cure that, but how to make that feel better, look at what's going on before it and outside of it. And I love that. Um there was a question I was going to ask them, but I can't rem remember. What sort of, I mean, when you say looking at the rest of the month and that kind of thing, like what, what do you mean? Like what kind of tips and advice would you give somebody that is experiencing PMS? Like what could they do outside of the week that they're due on? Yeah. Um, so that it's in terms of diet, it's all quite individual. So it can be down to different nutrients that we require um, and different things going on. Um, at different times and there's an alarm going off that I need oh to see. God, I saw that on your Instagram yesterday. <laughs> Is it still going off? Gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna message someone. I Dad. <laughs> sorry guys, we will get back to this in one second. Technical issues. Okay, thanks. I just sent a message. Um yeah, cool. That should be sorted now. Um sorry, what was I talking about? Uh, diet advice around or before yeah. the time of the month? So dietary wise, it can all be quite um, person dependent because um, our hormones are created from nutrients. Yeah. So we're all going to be getting in different nutrients into our body. Everyone's diet looks different. We're going to be processing them in different ways. So dietary wise, it can be quite specific, but I'd also, I'd encourage people to look more to the basics and look a little bit wider because ultimately you could be trying to get in all of the most hormone supportive nutrients in the world every day as like aligning that with the day of your cycle and doing all of that but if you're sleeping five hours a night and you are stressed out your eyeballs and you've got all this other stuff going on none of that matters it's not going to make a difference we actually need to look at the basics like the fundamentals of of what your kind of health and your lifestyle is doing. And I cannot stress enough how important sleep is. Um, and it's so underrated and I think undervalued um, by lots of people because um, there's, I think there can be, especially in the hustle culture that we've created, there can be this kind of like, I'll sleep when I'm dead mentality. Like I don't need sleep at the moment. Like I just need to work. I've just got all of this stuff to do. And I appreciate that there are so many people that have so much going on and to tell someone to like, oh, sleep eight hours a night. Like it's, people have barriers, like legitimate barriers. And I get that. 
Um, but we really do want to be focusing um, on it and looking at how we can maximize that where possible. Um, because sleep is, is so important. There's things that we can only do when we're asleep that we can't do when we're awake. And that's why we need it. And sleep is actually, um, scientists can't, aren't, aren't 100% sure why we haven't evolved outside, out, away from sleep. Because sleep actually is when we're in one of our most vulnerable positions. Like it's very easy to be, you know, murdered yes. <laughs> when you're asleep, be harmed. Um, so evolutionary wise, it doesn't make sense as to why we haven't gotten away from this. And the only thing they can conclude is that actually that's just how important it is. Mm. You know, it's so it's that important that it's we're willing to be vulnerable. We're willing to be exposed because we, it's just so important that we get that time in in order for our body to be able to do what it needs to do. Um, and we actually need about seven to nine hours as an adult. So eight hours is a good number to aim for. And people that feel that like, oh, well, I, I only need five hours sleep. I only need six hours sleep. Whilst that is, that's how you're feeling. That's because your body's adapted. Your body has become used to this lower number of sleep, but that's not where it's going to thrive. It's going to thrive when it can get all of what it wants to, which is going to be a little bit longer. So if you are listening to this and you're like, well, I, I can only sleep like five or six hours a night, try an extra 30 minutes, try and make that normal. Try and just increase that a little bit more, going to bed 30 minutes earlier or going, getting up 30 minutes later. And then when that feels okay, then try and add on another 30 minutes. Just try and build up and do what you can um, because that is really, really going to help you and your body regulate. Um, all of our hormones are, I know we speak about hormones in part of the menstrual cycle, but all of our hormones are actually connected to so many things. We are, our hormones are, <laughs> we aren't us, we are our hormones. That's essentially what, how I think about human beings because <laughs> um, they kind of control everything from um, how we feel to how hungry we are to how sleepy we are. Like all of this stuff, it's all hormonally driven. And we run on something called a circadian rhythm um, which is basically our body's clock. We run on a 24 hour clock and that's kind of how our hormones know what to do as well. Um, and we have sleep hormones. So our sleep hormone melatonin is part of that process. And if our hormones can be regulated by, via knowing what's going on, then that's, that's gonna translate into our menstrual cycle as well because that's where our hormones are also present. So if we're able to sleep enough, or we're able to optimize our circadian rhythm, then that's going to translate into our hormone production elsewhere as well. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, one of the things would be sleep. <laughs> what, um, what advice, because I'm just thinking in the back of my head, I, I coach a lot of clients that have got young children and they might, you know, have the best sleep hygiene ever, be off their phones by seven o'clock, you know, and trying to have calm evenings but then they're up six times throughout the night and they can't help the fact that, that you know their kids been up is there anything else that they can do that obviously they know they need sleep but mm. for for you know for a lot of mums they're still working so that's not possible to nap in the day is there anything else they could be doing essentially do you think yeah absolutely and this is where it comes down to like looking at what is realistic and achievable in my life right now because in exactly in that kind of um situation that you described um it's not possible so don't 
don't stress about it. Just be like, okay, this is something that I can't manage at the moment. I can't control this. What else can I control? Where else can I look? Um, and then there would be things like stress management is a big one. Um, a lot of us live life very um, high on the stress scale most of the time. Um, and again, this is directly translated to our hormone regulation because our well, stress hormone is called cortisol. Um, and when cortisol is high, that can impact our hormone regulation elsewhere. So stress management techniques, um, things like journaling. Um, so sorry, sound like a broken record. I talk about journaling all the time. No, but I love it. it. <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the best um, things for us in so many ways. Um, and then things like things that make you feel good. So going out for, you know, a walk um, or sleep in itself is um, stress relieving or it can be. Things like um, managing your caffeine consumption as well, because that can aggravate stress. So um, and what I mean by managing caffeine consumption, we kind of want to be, we don't regularly want to be exceeding around two to four cups of caffeinated beverages a day. Um, and that two to four depends on how strong that drink is. So a higher caffeinated drink would be two, lower ones might be four. Green tea still contains caffeine. Um, not a lot of people know that. So just to clarify, switching out some of your um, caffeinated drinks in the afternoon for things like herbal teas or even just other drinks that you like can be helpful as well because caffeine can directly translate into um, our, not just our hormone support, but kind of our lifestyle on the whole and how we feel. Um, so looking to those things as well, but then also our activity. It's a, it's a huge one. Um, are you regularly active in a way that you enjoy is a good question to ask. And I mean, I'd say that most of your clients probably are. Um, but then also what type activity are you engaging in because um things like long gentle walks can be so helpful and I know they're not sexy and they're not something that you know they're not instagrammable and things like that but a lot of what we need actually isn't mm. uh, a lot of what we need is really boring <laughs> yeah and that's where we want to be looking okay cool awesome thank you for that um okay let's kind of go backwards a little bit can you just talk about because it always surprises me actually when I work with clients when I talk about the menstrual cycle that mm -hmm. that a lot of women actually don't know what their menstrual cycle is mm -hmm. and the kind of common symptoms that we feel throughout those quote-unquote 28 days so can you just give a brief explanation on how, like how does it work yeah okay I'll try and keep this as brief as possible <laughs> So um, I'll talk about the cycle as though it's 28 days, mainly because that fits into four weeks very neatly. Um, however, like I said, between 21 to 35 is kind of considered a more normal range. If you're below that or you're higher than that, and when I say cycle, I mean from the first, from day one of your bleed until the next day one. Um, if you're below or above that, that can indicate that there is some um, hormone dysregulation there. So I'd recommend speaking to a GP or going to see a professional um, to see what's going on. Um, but the first few days, so day one is when your period arrives. That's the first day of your bleed. And then the bleed will last um, between kind of three to six days. Um, it might be slightly longer, it might be slightly less, and it shouldn't be too heavy. Um, it should be manageable and it shouldn't be too painful. Um, 
pain, long, heavy bleeds. These are all indications that actually something isn't quite right and they do want to be looked into. And again, I know that you might be thinking this and being like, well, everyone I know has pain with on their period. Everyone I know has like really heavy periods. Again, this is this kind of like common but not normal thought process coming in. And we have been, I think, I don't want to sound like I'm putting our healthcare system down, but I think as women, we've kind of been neglected in a lot of these areas just by kind of being like, well, you're not dying, so it's fine, you know? And I, I get that because there's so much out there that we do need to be looking at and supporting, but actually this happens to you every month, every single month from the age of like early teens until early 50s that is a very very long time to be suffering and if you are experiencing a lot of pain or really uncomfortable bleeds like one month of one week of every month is still like three months of the year so that's a really long time to be suffering and struggling so if you are experiencing things that are wildly different to what I'm talking about then I really do encourage you to go and get it looked at Um, and you might have to be quite persistent because it's very easy to shrug us off <laughs> but, but go and get what you deserve because you don't have to be in pain you don't have to be struggling all the time but sorry back to the question <laughs> so the first few days will be the bleed um, and that's when most of our hormones are low but estrogen starts to build um, so estrogen is the hormone that's responsible for building our uterine lining um, so that will be building up and whilst it's doing that it will also be maturing an egg in our ovary so estrogen's roles are to um build the endometrial lining in the uterus and mature an egg in the ovary. Um, When estrogen reaches its peak, which will be around day 14, so that will be mid-cycle, that's when ovulation should occur. So that's when the egg's released from the ovary um, and goes into our uterus where we've got our nice endometrial lining. Um, At this point, a hormone called progesterone takes over. So progesterone is responsible for holding on to the uterine lining and keeping it there so that if an egg becomes fertilized, it can obviously um, attach and then develop into a pregnancy. And that might not be what you're after at the moment. That might not be what anyone listening to is wanting, but ultimately that's kind of what your body is aiming to do every month. And regardless of whether or not that's something that we're hoping for, that is what our body's looking to do. Um, So then if conception were to happen, then progesterone would continue to build and um, it would hold on to the lining nice and safely. If conception doesn't occur, then the egg is kind of like breaks down and just gets absorbed into the uterine lining. Progesterone will then start to fall. Um, Estrogen will also be falling. um, And that's when our lining sheds. Um, And what it will be just before that, that's when we start to feel all of our PMS because of the hormones falling. Um, And then our period starts again, essentially. Yeah. Cool. So to describe how you might be feeling at different points there, actually, it's really interesting because estrogen is actually the hormone that makes us feel quite vibrant and quite Mm. vivacious and quite excited about life. And it's usually just after our period that we're feeling really good and positive about things. Um, This is me at the moment. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Feeling feeling just like a little bit more zest for life. And estrogen is actually the hormone that makes us feel really good, which is funny because that's usually the one that gets like... Oh, estrogen. Yeah. That makes you feel awful. It's actually the opposite. That's the one that makes you feel great. Um, progesterone can make us feel kind of sleepy um, and a bit more hungry and just a bit more like, oh, I don't really want to do that much because 
progesterone is hoping that you're going to be growing a baby <laughs> that's what it wants to do so it's promoting all the stuff that's going to keep you quite quite chill and quite calm um, so it's very interesting how the different sides of the cycle can really really impact how you can be feeling within a month yeah and I think that brings us perfectly on to like training because mm. this is so common you know a question again that's really common from my clients is oh you know the certain times of the month throughout the month where I feel super motivated and like my strength is through the roof and then the closer I get to my period I feel horrendous and you know I just I don't want to go to the gym at all so can you know does that kind of link um yeah yeah so there, there can be really big links here um and estrogen again so because that's the one that's going to make us feel like kind of more excited and more like ready for life um, that's when we can feel a little bit more excited in the gym. We can feel like we maybe want to push a little bit more. Um, we're feeling really good. We also, around ovulation, we can get a little spike of testosterone as well. And if our testosterone is higher, that can translate into um, more likelihood of like hitting personal bests and things like that. Um, the, the research kind of, this indicates we've kind of got a bit of a, an association here. It's not like a given. It's not like, yes. On ovulation, you will PB, um, but it's, it looks like that that's kind of what's happening, what's going on around about that time. Also, everyone's testosterone peak can be a little bit different at that point, so it can be variable. Um, and then in the second half of the cycle, just because we're feeling a little bit more tired, um, especially towards later stages, um, so PMS kind of point, it's very likely here that we're going to be feeling like we just can't be bothered and we just want to relax and maybe sleep and not train, um, which is fair. And it's usually our hormones being related to and connected to that. I do think it's also important to point out that this is very woman dependent and some women might not feel any change throughout the month. And that doesn't mean anything is wrong. That doesn't mean you're like hormones are any less that doesn't that doesn't change anything your hormones are doing what they still need to do um it's just less sensitivity to the impacts of those hormones that's absolutely fine so if you're listening to this like i never feel any different mm. don't worry like that's that's not to say that anything's wrong um but some people really do feel more sensitive to these things um, and also if you're on the pill or hormonal contraceptive then your cycle is going to look very different because you won't be having these hormonal fluctuations um, in which case you may also feel like, oh, nothing's different. I, I feel yeah. the same. Yeah. And I've definitely had that when I've been on different pills or I was on the implant for a while. I definitely had times a month where I forgot, you know, it was my time of the month because I was just like, ah, I'm fine. You know, but obviously it's the contraception that's kind of masking the hormonal changes that are going on behind or stopping the hormonal changes. Um, what sort of advice do you give your clients then in terms of training? around their cycle do you kind of because I've seen this and it's very common within the fitness industry to kind of program clients around their cycle or you kind of I don't know do you give more uh, clients more autonomy over that yeah so I prefer rather than programming around the cycle I prefer to program around how you feel um because the cycle is still it's quite funny I was having this exact conversation the other day um, it's still, if you are programming someone's training based on their menstrual cycle, what happens when the cycle is slightly different to what you're expecting? Because we aren't robots 
and things are going to be different. And even if everything in our life is the same, our period might arrive one or two days later. You know, things might be a little bit different or there can be a really unexpected event leaving you super stressed. And then actually your whole menstrual cycle is very, very different that month. Um, and it can be really, it can be very, I think it can add a new layer of pressure as well, because what happens if you're in the first half of your menstrual cycle and you're supposed to be feeling really great, but you actually don't, you're actually like, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it. And I know my estrogen should be high, but why am I not feeling it? And that can add this extra layer of pressure of being like, well, I should be feeling good right now. So I'm going to push. Um, so rather than that, I prefer to look at how someone feels and actually if someone comes to me whether it's in the first week of their cycle or the week before their period and they're like I'm really not feeling good today like my body image is low um, I'm really tired I'm really hungry I'm just not feeling it it's okay well what does feel good this week actually is throwing the training plan out the window this week and making sure that we get a few nice long walks and a yoga session in gonna be right for you. Do you need a whole week of rest? Do you actually need me to have a nice pet talk with you and get you to the gym? Like what is gonna make you feel better, truly feel better? What do we need right now? Um, and that's how I would look at things and it's how I encourage other people to look at things. Um, because the way that you feel will always tell you so much more than any data can ever tell you. You know, you can be tracking every single symptom under the sun, but only you know how you feel. Mm, yeah, oh, I'm glad you said that because that's very similar advice that I give to my clients as well. Go by how you feel. Um, OK, so obviously you're a nutritionist and I think one of I, I chucked in a question to my Facebook group the other day and I was like, what do you want to know about, you know, time of the month and that kind of thing. And one of the, the hot topics was what should we be eating to support our menstrual cycle, to support our hormones? And what should we be eating over the like course of our actual period? So I know there's quite a lot of to to kind of go through there but I guess my question to you is obviously you know the fitness industry you know what diet culture looks like what are women doing wrong that's mm. then leading to you know really painful periods and that kind of thing what could we be doing better yeah. as women yeah this is a really interesting question because there is so much out there and there's I think there's the like there's so much more noise about what to like, what not to do. Yes. Um, that can leave you a bit like, okay, well, what, what do I do? What do I eat? What, what happens? Um, and I much prefer to focus on the, what you should do. And I have what I call an inclusion approach. So rather than looking about what to avoid and about what can we bring in. Um, and yeah, there are foods and things that we know about the diet that are, can be really supportive for our, um, not just our hormone development, because hormones are really interesting. So it's not just about how we create them and how we produce them. It's also about how effectively we kind of eliminate them as well, because that can be a whole new host of things going on. <laughs> Um, so there's certain foods that we want to look at for that, but also the way that we're eating and how we're eating is really important. Um, regular meal times are really, really helpful and avoiding long periods of fasting. So as women, it can be more unhelpful to go long periods of time, kind of like 16 hours can be kind of detrimental to our hormone production and things like that. Um, so actually eating regularly and including a really big variety of foods is going to be super helpful. Um, something that we do know can be really helpful is fiber because that's going to support our digestion. 
Um, and that is how we effectively um, process and eliminate our hormones because we do actually kind of use them in a cycle. They have like a lifespan and we need to get rid of them too. Um, so fiber is going to be really, really helpful, um, which is going to be found in things like whole grains, but also um, like the skins of like fruits and vegetables, um, kind of just plants on the whole are always going to be really great. Um, <laughs> alarm is going off again. <laughs> we can't hear it so it's fine that's good um yeah and then also foods that contain um fats are super helpful as women and this is interesting because a lot of the time the advice for women can be like low fat like stay away from fats don't go for fats and also carbs which is kind of ridiculous because it's like well what, what foods are left if i'm not eating fats and i'm not eating carbs what am i supposed to eat <laughs> And I've just talked about fiber, which comes from carbohydrates, but then we also want to be looking at fats because our um, sex hormones, so these ones I've been talking about, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, these are called steroid hormones, which means they're created from fats. So they derive from fats in the body and we have to get these fats through our diet. So it's actually really important that we are including fats as women um, in order to have the kind of raw materials that we need to um, create our hormones. And um, obviously there are lots of different types of fats in the diet. And it's not to say that we need to actively avoid any, but ones that can be really helpful to include would be um, monounsaturated fats. So things like olive oil, things like avocados, also omega-3s that come from oily fish. Um, there's omega-6s in things like nuts, and seeds and obviously nut butters and things like that. Um, and then we get cholesterol from things like eggs and prawns. We don't need to be afraid of any of these things. They're actually supportive, they're actually helpful. So including these things in our diet regularly as well, not just kind of like once a day, but actually like, where is where, where am I getting fats from in this meal time? Mm -hmm. you know, where am I getting carbohydrates from in this meal time? That's what's going to help to not just keep you full between meals, because that is really important, but actually keep a consistent run of nu nutrition getting into your body, because that's how we keep it ticking over. Mm. And do you know what I love so much about this? And I know you're going to be nodding your head in a minute is because obviously the fitness trend at the moment is calorie deficit. And obviously everybody you know, and I will put my hand up and say, I've done this before. Everybody promotes kind of low calorie foods, but actually there's no nutritional value in that food. And I know, I remember years ago, you actually caught me out here and, and uh, I was talking about eggs or something like that. And I was like, oh, you don't need the yolks, just throw them in the bin. Like, <laughs> because, because, you know, they're high in calories. And actually what I was doing was, you know, and again, I put my hand up and say this, I was eating so low fat because obviously there's more calories per gram in fat that it was affecting my um, hormones. And actually I lost my menstrual cycle. So when we like, when, you know, is talks about these things, like it's, it's serious. Like if you want to improve your menstrual cycle, you want to like have a good hormone profile as such, like you need to be looking after your nutrition and don't just keep opting for like low calorie this or high protein this like think about the actual contents of what you're eating like is a protein bar actually a nutritionally dense meal no it's not whilst okay they're okay here and there there shouldn't be something that make up your diet every single day yeah um okay cool awesome we've gone into loads of depth there i'm just uh worried about time but it's cool we've still got 10 minutes um 
so this is going to be like you're going to go oh my god this could go on for about an hour but could you just give us a brief overview because obviously you've talked about PCOS and endometriosis yourself and how you've kind of gone through it but I guess do you have any tips or advice to the listeners here listening thinking like listening to your story thinking oh shit like maybe that's what I've got like is there anything and I know you've said about going to the doctors but is there anything that you I don't know what tips and advice you have to females that potentially might think oh my god I I think I might have PCOS or endometriosis like where can somebody start yeah okay first of all I hope you're okay because that can be a lot to process and manage um and not knowing can sometimes be um the kind of hardest place to be like well what's going on like I know that things aren't okay um but getting that answer can be really helpful. But even if you don't have that answer yet, even if you're still going to your GP or you're still talking to people and you're like, something's wrong, no one knows your body better than you. And if you think something is wrong, that's all we need to know. You know, that's fine. We, let's work. Let's find out what's going on and make you feel better. Um, so if you're struggling with your GP or your healthcare provider to try and like get somewhere, um, or even if you've already had a diagnosis, but not really given much advice, because I know that can kind of happen. I would really, really encourage you to work with um, like a PCOS nutritionist or practitioner or something, but also be in the knowledge that you can be picky about who you want to work with. Um, I would really encourage you to choose somebody who is um, like weight neutral or doesn't focus on um, diet elimination there can be a lot of advice out there to remove things like dairy and gluten and things if you have PCOS or endometriosis and there's actually just not evidence to to display that there isn't evidence to say that actually these things are connected Um, and you can consume these food if you want to you know if you don't want to eat them go ahead but if you want to be eating these foods you absolutely can and still improve your symptoms Um, of whatever hormone condition you're struggling with so yeah have a look at who you're working with and make sure you're happy with their approach and that you think that the advice they're giving you can be sustainable Um, I would encourage you to not try and brave it alone if you don't have to Um, I did that and it basically ended up in me doing a nutrition degree so if you don't want if you want to save like five years of your time don't do that um because it is it is such a mess out there there's so much information and not all of it is relevant to you I can tell you that right now not everything that you read hardly any percentage of what you read is going to be relevant to you but the stuff that is is going to be really really helpful and it can take a little bit of trial and error Um, so have a look at what is out there talk to other people but with the mentality of I'll take what I need from this and leave what I don't and try things out and be okay with the fact that things might not work so if you do try and um, I don't know include more of certain foods um, and you just don't get on with it that's okay try and look elsewhere maybe changing up the type of training that you're doing if you're not doing any resistance training bring that in or if you're not doing any type of um like low intensity like walking or anything like that maybe increase that if actually looking at your life you can see that there's quite a lot of stress and not a lot of downtime maybe that's something that needs to be looked at and do things one at a time if you try and do everything all at once you're gonna fall into this kind of like spiral of nothing works and I can't do it and actually what we need to find is 
a way of life that works for you every single day because it's, it's not going anywhere. Unfortunately, neither PCOS or endometriosis have a cure. So this needs to be a lifestyle that not only you can live every day, but actually really enjoy living every day and things you want to do and know that you, and kind of know what it is you need to look back to in times when you do, you know, have a week where you just drink a bunch of alcohol and don't eat any vegetables and just have a lovely time, knowing that that's okay because you have all of your tools to go back to um, in your daily life to make yourself feel better again. Mm, amazing. I think that was wonderful advice. Cool. Thank you. Um, okay. I'm going to finish with one last question. And I was just thinking then what else do, do I get asked? And the, I guess the final question I've got for you is, are there any supplements that you think women should be taking that are related to looking after their menstrual cycle? Do you think? Um, yeah, so there are a few and I would caveat this with, um, always have a look at your blood tests before taking anything. Um, one kind of quite general one is going to be vitamin D specifically through the months of October to March. Um, so the sunlight isn't strong enough for us to be synthesizing vitamin D throughout the winter months. Also, if we're going to be synthesizing it in the summer, we do need to be outside, um, in the middle of the day for like a minimum of about 20 minutes, um, ideally about half an hour, with your skin on show. So if you're covered up or you're in the shade, that's gonna impact your ability to synthesize vitamin D. Um, so yeah, having a look at that. Also, if you are experiencing heavy bleeds, um, you may want to have a look at your iron. Um, if you bleed for quite a long time, um, then, and you feel quite sleepy and you notice that you just don't feel quite right around your period. It might be worth actually getting your iron levels checked. Um, it's one of the most common things to be low in women. Um, but then iron supplementation can be quite difficult because we don't absorb it very well. So um, you'd want to be looking at food sources there too, if possible. Um, and then also omega-3 is a really good one because most of us, myself included, are not very good at eating oily fish. Um, I have a bunch of recipes for oily fish because I am determined to make this ingredient something we get excited about. Um, so there are some recipes on my website um, that have oily fish in them, um, but we still might not be eating it quite in the quantity that we need. Actually, twice a week is kind of where we want to be. Um, and if you're really not hitting that, then looking at an omega-3 supplement can be really helpful. Um, and then something that is perhaps a little bit more specific would be certain um, micronutrients like magnesium, zinc and selenium. Um, I'm not just saying go out and take those because actually the way that supplements work is that a, if you don't necessarily need them. So our, our nutrient levels always need to be kind of in a balance and actually just taking a random one can throw things out of balance even more. So these are things I would suggest that you perhaps have, a, if you do go and work with a professional or something, have a look at these levels, or if for whatever reason you get a blood test, have a look at them, rather than just going to specifically supplement these individually. Um, they are just supportive nutrients. Also food first, um, if you can. There are lots of foods that contain um, zinc, selenium, magnesium, also the B vitamins, super helpful there as well. Um, but those ones are, yeah, it's, they're helpful nutrients, but I'd ear more towards 
um, I'd err more towards foods. But things like vitamin D, omega-3 um, can be really helpful supplements to take. Too. Yeah, I'm so glad you said all those things because none of none of what you mentioned are like, I don't know, you see like female health multivitamin and stuff like that on, you know, in the supermarkets and that kind of thing. And it's just... Centrum. Yeah, exactly. We just... <laughs> Yeah. Um, the only other one that I've heard of, and actually it's, um, it was mentioned on my nutrition course was, and correct me if I'm saying this wrong, like chase berry, chase berry or Vitex. Have you heard of that? Yeah. So these are, um, that's a, it's a herbal supplement. Um, and I am quite cautious of herbs because, um, they can interact with lots of other medications and this is a really important note on supplements actually. So, Things like herbal supplements in their um, raw form. So, for example, if we took something like um, milk thistle, is that yeah, anything yeah. like that? If you have it from a food source, you're going to be getting it only in the level that's available in the food. When supplements are made, it becomes very, very concentrated um, and much higher and much more potent. And that's how you can get the like more of the effect of um, whatever that herb is. Is promoting however that means that they can now be at a level that you wouldn't necessarily usually eat so herbs are safe in their edible form because actually to eat the amount of um milk thistle that could potentially be harmful is going to take you know a very very long time mm. but when you take them in supplemental form you're getting a lot more in a much easier way of taking it and particularly with herbs, there can be lots of interactions with medications, whether that is something as simple as kind of stopping the medication working or actually being becoming quite dangerous with how they interact. That's really important. Um, so if you are on any medications and you want to take a supplement, please speak to either a GP or somebody you know that can check this for you because we have databases that can um, cross-reference these. But please don't just think that because supplements come from foods or from herbs that they're always 100% absolutely fine and we can take whatever we need. They can still interact and be harmful. Mm. Um, so I'm always cautious of talking about them too much. And on a one-to-one individual basis, they can be helpful, but we would want to be checking what else is going on for that person. Yeah. And um, you've talked about this a couple of times. So where might somebody go to have their bloods tested? If let's say they go to the doctors and they're like, oh, I want to get my blood tested to check my hormones or whatever. And some doctors can be quite funny about that. Is there any place that you can go to like get your vitamin D level check? Yeah. So my favorite is actually MediChecks, which is yeah. um, it's just a website and you can get some individual um, nutrients like vitamin D. I think the vitamin D test is like 19 pounds or something yeah um and they've now they've um maximized the ability to do it at home now since being in covid um a lot of the tests now you can literally get the vials sent to your house and do it yourself um any intravenous ones you'd obviously have to go um, and have that done but you can book those sessions in um but they have some really good profiles um available and different panels they've usually got various sales on as well um so you can have a look and then yes yeah, see what those um those blood levels are doing and they they give you um a quite easy to understand report as well so yeah that can be a helpful place to go awesome i think i went to a place called um well it was online but i used better you you heard of better you products and i had my vitamin d tested and it was just simply a finger prick test you know you send your bloods off to the lab and you get the results back and you know I was really fortunate that my vitamin d was 
normal was level but what's really nice is they actually then send you the right amount of vitamin d that you need from there on so um you get that as kind of part of a package so if anybody's looking to get in their vitamin d tested i definitely recommend better you as well great okay cool i think we went into so much detail there i definitely think we could probably get you back on to talk more into depth about pcos and endometriosis yeah that probably requires a whole nother podcast um so yeah so thank you so so much for coming on today it's been an absolute pleasure and i've definitely taken a lot away from it and i hope the listeners have as well so where can people find you where can they contact you tell us your uh, social handles yeah so i'm on instagram and facebook so i'm isabel dorks underscore health on instagram isabel dorks health on facebook i exist on twitter but i'm never on it um <laughs> And I'm soon, I'm going to break into the world of TikTok, I swear. I'm also on YouTube. So there's a few recipe videos and things on there, same name. And my website is isabel.health.com and my email contact info and everything is on there as well. Um, I also have, if anyone is wondering from talking about this, what their um, kind of what foods to go down, if they're more interested in like the details of hormones, how the menstrual cycle works, I've put together a whole number of guides um, that really go into this in a lot of detail. Um, and there's a whole guide based on what foods to eat to support various hormones and then like a recipe guide, including those foods. There's a whole one just on the menstrual cycle and just on hormones and things like that. So those are all available on my website. Um, if you do want to go and like have a look at those and get a bit more info. Amazing. And I will obviously include all of your information in the show notes as well. So once again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope a lot of people have taken a lot from this. And um, I'm sure we'll hear from you again very soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been really good. If anyone needs to chat or whatever, then my DMs are always open. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Um, Today, I'm very excited because I've just had a very wonderful chat with my guest. um, And we've been talking about the menstrual cycle and how to support your menstrual cycle through health, through food, through nutrition. We've also talked about PCOS, endometriosis. And what I really, really loved about this podcast and this guest especially is the way she kind of explains that if you want to improve your time of the month symptoms, instead of just looking at what's going on in your time of the month, so, you know, when you bleed, but actually looking at the other days around that, not just in the lead up to your time of the month, like what are you doing to support your health outside of those three to five, maybe 10 days where you're bleeding? And I really love that because I don't think anybody talks about that enough. Like the way that we can support our menstrual cycle to have a better menstrual cycle is actually in the time around our period, not just when we're on our period. Because that's a question I get asked all the the time is, you know, what should I be eating? What should I be eating when I'm on my period? And it's actually, well, what are you eating outside of that? Anyway, we go into lots of detail here. I think this was a really great podcast. I think a lot of people are going to take a lot from this. And I really encourage you to get in touch with um, Is and, you know, reach out to her that if you are struggling, she is one of the best coaches in the industry to kind of, you know, connect with and uh, get support from. 
So without further ado, I have Isabel Dorks on the podcast today from ID Health. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you do, please obviously share, like, subscribe and tag us in the podcast as well once you've listened to it and share it on your social media. Enjoy.